just feel like telling somebody good morning. Good morning. It's morning time in the house of the Lord. I know the clock says that it's 7.56, but when God's presence is in the building, it's morning time because there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to take about 30 seconds right here and just praise Him. somebody this joy that I have the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away sorrow can't take my joy struggle can't take my joy the enemy can't take my joy so I'm gonna give him a joyful noise in this sanctuary than happiness happiness is predicated on circumstances I know it's a cool song but it's not theologically my cup of tea to sing because I'm happy oh y'all acting like you got wings on the back of your shoulder blades and don't even know what song I'm talking some of y'all what song is he talking about happiness can go away depending on what's happening in my life but baby when you got joy joy supersedes your circumstance I can have joy in the middle of a valley I can have joy in the middle of sickness I can have joy when I'm in between blessings you can keep the happy I'll take the joy in this place Somebody that's got the joy of the Lord. One more time, give him a shout. Woo! Yeah, yeah, we, we, we used to teach our kids how to sing. I got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Where? And if it's down in your heart, let it get on your face in your hands tonight. Because if you got joy in your heart, it has to come out everywhere else. Come on, I got the joy of the Lord. If that's why I'm clapping my hands. That's why I'm shouting on a Tuesday night. That's why I can dance in the middle of my trouble. Because I got the joy of the Lord. Anybody excited to be in the house of God tonight? Amen, amen. You can go back to your seat, but remain standing. We're going to hasten to the word of the Lord tonight. Just go back to your seat and grab your Bibles. Amen, amen. 
while you're grabbing your Bibles, let me say what a privilege it is to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord with us tonight. Rock Church, would you help me one more time? Put your hands together. Come on, help me. We can do a little bit better than that on Tuesday night. Help me welcome all of our guests one more time into the house of the Lord. We have guests all over the sanctuary this morning, this evening. We are so excited to have you here. God is doing some incredible things. Uh, 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 Pastor Trevor Sloss mentioned the global impact of the church. So many exciting things happening Sunday at our campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Three more people were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I think I saw one more on Sunday night maybe that was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Then two more were baptized here Sunday morning, filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I saw a picture today that came across uh, Sister Duhaney is teaching a Bible study to 14 ladies in Jamaica. Come on, somebody. We're reaching across the globe. Some of us reaching across the globe, and some of us still need to work on reaching across the street. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I lost my shouters right there. How many of you want God to use you to be a soul winner tonight? Amen. So many incredible things happening here. And uh, as we've announced the last week, let's remember that this upcoming Sunday is Supernatural Sunday. Amen. I thought I'd have more shouters than that tonight when I made that announcement. We, I, I want us to be taking time this week to pray, ask the Lord how he would use us this weekend as we endeavor to come together in an effort to propel the kingdom of God forward in an unprecedented fashion this weekend. How many believe that we can go farther and higher and deeper than God has ever taken us before this weekend? Anybody else beside me crazy enough to believe that? Amen. How many of you understand that the miracle sometimes is in our hands? Sometimes we're the miracle. Amen, somebody. And uh, this weekend is going to be incredible. We are, we are anticipating 100% uh, attendance on Sunday. This place will be packed, and uh, the glory of God will be here in an unprecedented fashion. Amen. How many of you excited for the word of the Lord tonight? Did you come hungry for the word of God tonight? Grab your Bibles, go with me, if you would, to the book uh, of Genesis, chapter 25. <clears throat> I've got just a little bit of scripture I want to read in your hearing tonight. Book of Genesis, chapter 25, and I want to begin reading at verse number 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of 
the Lord. She wanted context because she understood that though God was answering a prayer, there was something unique that was happening on the inside of her. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled behold there were twins in her womb and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment and they called his name Esau and after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter a man of the field and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison but Rebekah loved Jacob and Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint and Esau said to Jacob feed me I pray thee with that same red pottage for I am faint therefore was his name called Edom and Jacob said sell me this day thy birthright and Esau said behold I am at the point to die and what profit shall this birthright do to me and Jacob said swear to me this day and he swore unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way thus Esau despised his birthright Romans chapter 9 verse number 10 says and not only this but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. In other words, these boys had done nothing yet, had not lived a day of life to earn a reputation, to, to earn God's call or favor. But what happened was because God's voice 
And it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. As it is written, he is directly quoting Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There was something so significant about this story and this family that superseded the local setting of the home. It was a picture and a model of something that became a prophetic utterance from God himself. And the prophet Malachi in chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Listen to this. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. The Lord said, Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And for a few moments tonight, I want to preach about a love-hate relationship. A love-hate relationship. Would you put your Bibles down and one more time give God a hand clap of praise in this house. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. And while you're clapping your hands, we ought to go ahead and do what the Bible says and shout unto God with a voice of triumph in this house. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated tonight. Hang tight with me while I take a moment to lay a foundation for where I want to go. You begin to study the context of these scriptures and the narrative of uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah, it becomes very evident to us very quickly that the word of the Lord is pointing to and shining the light on some very specific dynamics that God wants us to pay attention to. There is a literary style that begins to unfold wherewith the writer contrasts the left and the right, and the top and the bottom, and the light and the dark. It begins by pointing out to us in our text that these uh, boys were born from one father. They had the same mother. Their genetic origin was from the same place. They grew up in the same household. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that not only were they from the same mother and father, but they were born as twins. They, they grew up in the same environment. And even before their 
birth into the earth realm. They were developed in a womb that was the same environment. They, they were fed the same nutrition even before they were born. They were connected genetically the same way, both paternally and maternally. And although they were the same, had the same origin, although they had the same father and the same mother, they came from the same womb. They were raised in the same house. The Bible begins to lay out a dichotomy between these two brothers. There is a contrast that the Word of God begins to paint for us concerning Jacob and Esau. I want to take a moment to lift from the text a few examples tonight. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by God and is profitable. And there are some things that, that I want you to see that, that transcend just the story of two brothers in a household. But they become a lesson for humanity and Christianity. First of all, it is very clear to point out to us that even though they are twins, as is the natural order of twins, one came out before the other. There was an elder brother, even if only by maybe a few minutes or in some cases an hour or two. But there was one that came out first. And the one that came out first was Esau. And the second one that came out was his younger brother, Jacob. And the Bible begins to tell us that the word of the Lord comes to Rebekah when they prayed uh, and he said inside of your womb uh, there is going to come from your bowels uh, two different kinds of people. How is it uh, that the same mother, the same father, the same womb uh, is going to produce uh, two different kinds uh, of people? Oh, and not only is it going to be two different kind of people, uh, but even right now, uh, as they are in your womb, uh, they are warring uh, against each other. Rebecca, inside of you, uh, there are two things uh, that are warring one uh, against the other. Can I preach to you uh, that the Bible is explicit to let us know uh, that inside each and every one of us, uh, that there are two natures uh, that are warring against each other a fleshly carnal uh, nature uh, and a spiritual uh, nature they, they are warring uh, against uh, each other uh, and just as it is in the natural uh, the carnal uh, nature is born first Esau was the elder brother and then it was the new the new uh, nature the new man that is born second uh, it is Jacob it is the carnal nature uh, and the spiritual nature of man uh, that wars against uh, one another I need some help up in this place uh, because if you're honest this this evening uh, and you've lived for God you understand uh, that there are moments in times uh, that there are two natures in you that are battling uh, each 
each other. There is the old man and there is the new man. And sometimes there is an all out war between them in your life. I can't get no help in this Holy Ghost Church. The book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There is a battle in the life of every Christian between the old nature and the new nature. And the book of Romans chapter 8 declares in verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Whichever nature has dominion in your life, those are the things that you will be mindful of. It will either be a carnal mindset that minds the things of the flesh, or it will be the spirit man that wrestles its way to dominion, to where you become mindful of the things of the spirit. I wish I had some real people in the building that would testify sometimes it's an all-out war against my carnal flesh. Sometimes it's a knockdown, drag-out fight. My spirit man against my carnal man. And my carnal man doesn't want me to live right. My carnal man doesn't want me to think right. My carnal man wants to kill my spiritual man and wants to have dominion over him. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is the enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God when you are operating in your carnal flesh. I just need some real people in the house. Oh yeah. When you are operating by carnal flesh and you're letting your flesh get the best of your thoughts and the best of your words and the best of your actions you cannot please God they that are in the flesh cannot please God and what's interesting in the text is that God says one will be stronger than the other what makes it so interesting to me is he doesn't tell us which one. Which one will be stronger? It's the one you feed the most. It's the nature that you give the most attention to. Who's going to win? Who's going to dominate? It's going to be the one that you feed. And if you live for God long enough, you'll find out that carnal appetites can never be satisfied. Your carnal flesh will always be starving for more. It can never be satisfied. And so... When you put on the whole armor of God, 
When you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and you take up the sword of the spirit and your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel and you have the shield of faith you are literally arming and preparing your new man for battle against your old man I'm just showing you some some contrasts then the word of the Lord declares that the elder shall serve the younger. It's going to be opposite of what nature says. The fleshly man has to learn how to bow to the spiritual man. The elder, I know he's not going to like it. I know it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a family feud. But I'm telling you that it is the order of God that the elder serves the younger. The flesh is supposed to serve the spirit, not the other way around. See, I was first born... In February of 1977. If you're not good with math, that means I'm about to be 47 years old. But my new man was born in 1991. My old man has a 14 year head start on my new man. And so it is the nature that the, 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 that the new man is going to be a heel grabber. Why? Because he is trying to catch up with. He is coming from a position of behind. And if he is going to overtake the old nature, he's going to have to grab him, but he's going to have to supplant him. The old man won't die easy. The old man isn't going to, I need a church in the house. The old man isn't going to give up easy. If the younger man, if the young nature, if the new nature is going to have dominion, over the old nature he's going to have to come out of the womb with his hand reaching for everything he's worth he's going to have to pull the old man down he's going to have to drag it's going to be an all out fight in order for the elder to serve the younger that younger is going to have to have some fight in him if the new nature is going to conquer the old nature he can't, he's got to get ready for a fight. He better get ready for a struggle. He better get ready to rise up and come again. I'm preaching to somebody that if your spirit man is ever going to have dominion over your carnal man, there's got to be a fight inside of you that says I will be what God called me to be. I refuse to be a drug addict when God called me to be a son of God. I refuse to be a pimp and a prostitute when God's got a plan for my life. I refuse to submit to the worldly inclination of my nature when there is a purpose and a promise of God that the younger will be served by the elder. The elder's going to bow its knee. The elder's going to serve Somebody give God a praise in this house tonight. Your spirit man is a heel grabber. 
because it got here after the old nature. And the Bible continues to, to draw this dichotomy, this, this comparison, this contrast between Jacob and Esau. The Bible says that as the boys grew, the the characteristics became even more pronounced. And the Bible says that Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. You see, I don't have time to preach all of this. Suffice to say that if you study scripture, every time you see the field, it is reminiscent or symbolic of the world, of the earth. Esau was a man of the world. He was cunning. And when you study that word cunning, and it's it's the way it's used throughout scripture, it doesn't just mean that he was skilled. It means that he lived simply for thrill-seeking, that he lived to try to get another high. He lived just to have fun and a good time. He, he wasn't about responsibility. He, wasn't a, he was just about what could I do to make it fun. He was a cunning hunter and a man. He was attached to the field, the world, the earth. That's where he spent his time. Oh, but when you read about Jacob, it said he was a man of the plains. And I know when we read that in the King James English, we just think of the plains like another field. But that is a mistranslation because when you read that in the original text, it is the same thing as when God describes Job as a perfect and upright man. To be a man of the plains, he said, Jacob was a perfect and an upright man. He was a man of moral character. He was a man that concerned himself, not just with having a good time, but about being right, about having a right attitude. I know it's antithetical to the story, but there's some things that we've never uncovered in the story. We always say he stole the birthright. He never stole the birthright. He bought the birthright right. Uh, but Jacob uh, was a perfect man. He was a man uh, of the plains. Furthermore, he was a man that dwelt in tents. He was a sojourner. He never dug the stakes to the tents in too deep because he knew this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm not going to be in one place. I'm not tying myself permanently to the things of this earth. I've got to stay wherever God says go. I've got to go. He was different than Esau whose life was built in the, in the field. But he was a man that dwelt in the tents. There's a difference between, I'm preaching about a love-hate relationship. And then, and then the Bible even says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his venison. Now, it would seem to me that a, a father, a real father's love shouldn't be based off what his kid does for him. But Esau learned a warped sense of love and acceptance that was based on fulfilling desire. It was his father loved him for carnal reasons. He loved him because he fed his appetite. 
Oh, and Esau's sense of love, Esau's sense of affection came from a place that was defined by satisfying my desires. That's what I call, that's what this world calls love. What can you do for me? How can you fulfill my desire? If you can serve me good enough, then I'll count that as your love for me. And people grow up with the warped sense of what love is. Isaac loved him because he fed him with venison. But the contrast says that Rebecca loved Jacob. She didn't need a reason other than this is my son that I love, Jacob. When the story begins to unfold, Esau comes in. Esau was playing, but Jacob was preparing. Esau came in from the field. He's gallivanting all across the field, didn't care to prepare for the trip. He ran out of food. Whatever he wanted to do, he came home empty. It's like the prodigal son who left the house and he came home empty handed. He came home hungry. I about ate the food of the pigs. I'm so hungry. This is the context of Esau. He was out playing while Jacob was preparing. Esau came from the field faint but the Bible says Jacob sawed pottage. That word sawed means to proudly prepare a portion. Jacob was in the kitchen preparing things while his brother Esau was in the field playing games. And when Esau came in, I'm painting the picture. When Esau came in from the field, Esau he came in and he felt entitled to what he wanted. But Jacob felt inspired to buy and prepare for what he wanted. Some of you missed that. Esau came in and said, feed me with that same red pottage. I've been out playing. You've been here being responsible and preparing. But when he walked in the house, he felt entitled to what Jacob had. Feed me with that same red pottage. That is a defining characteristic of an Esau spirit. You know what its concern is? Feed me. It's about my appetites. It's about what I want. It's about my desires. It's about my feelings. It's about you fulfilling what I think is right. What I think is just. He walks in with a sense of it. You, you wouldn't believe this. But there are people that come to church and try to live for God with that kind of a mentality. And their whole existence in the church is feed me. What are you going to preach tonight, preacher? I hope it's better than the last sermon you preached. What are you got? Oh, the, the choir didn't feed me tonight. The sound was too loud. It didn't feed me. So-and-so didn't give me the respect I was looking at. They, you know what that is? That's a feed me mentality. I'm going to walk in the house and I'm not contributing. I've not been preparing. I don't have nothing to offer anybody else, but I come in with my hand out saying, feed me. I 
have found out in my years pastoring uh, that the people uh, who are the most demanding uh, are typically the people uh, who are the least giving. Uh, the people who demand the most uh, out of their church, uh, out of their leaders, uh, out of the saints of God uh, are typically the people uh, who don't show up for anything, uh, who aren't involved in much of anything. Uh, you only see them for church service uh, and all they can do is walk in uh, with an attitude that says, uh, feed me. Uh, they're waiting on Jacob who's been preparing uh, to give them something. Uh, they've been waiting on Jacobs uh, that have been in the kitchen preparing uh, and being responsible. I'm preaching about a love, uh, hate. Uh, well, there was a difference. Uh, they came from the same house, uh, the same father, uh, the same mother, uh, the same womb, uh, but they had two totally different attitudes. Uh, they go to the same church. Uh, they got the same pastor. Uh, they've been preached the same sermons, uh, the same move of God, uh, but they got two different attitudes. Uh, you got Esau's in the church uh, that are saying, feed me. Uh, and then you have people that walk in like Jacob uh, and they said, I just want to serve somebody. Uh, I'm not concerned about you feeding me. Uh, I got something I prepared uh, that I'm ready to come on. I'm preaching uh, about two kind of people uh, that can exist in the same house. Uh, two kind of people uh, that can be in the same church. Uh, two kind, come on somebody. Uh, come to the same address. Uh, park in the same parking lot. Uh, hear the same songs. Uh, hear the Come on. Uh, but they got two uh, different. Uh, it's a love uh, hate uh, relationship. Uh, feed me critical attitudes complaining that, that ought to be a telltale sign that a spirit of Esau is on you walk in and all you can do is stick your hand out and complain when it ain't what you're looking for Esau felt entitled to what he wanted this church don't serve me right this church don't have what I'm looking for. That's the attitude of Esau. But Jacob was willing to work for what he wanted. <laughs> Jacob had a revelation. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. I can't get no help up in the building. Jacob had a revelation uh, that it's like making cookies. Uh, whatever you put in the bowl, uh, that's what's going to come out on the other side. Uh, you want to make friends in the church? Uh, you better start being friendly with people. Uh, quit coming in here wondering why uh, nobody likes me. I can't make friends. Uh, yet you sit in your pew uh, and won't speak to anybody. Uh, you jet home right after. Oh, come on, I'm preaching. Uh, and then complain about this. Uh, that's an Esau. But Jacob understood uh, if I'm going to have something, I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to invest in things. If I want to get something out of it, I'm going to come on. If I want to feel the joy of the Lord in a service, I'm going to sow some praise and worship. If I'm going to get something out of the Word of God, I'm going to spend time in pre-service prayer, investing my tears and my prayers and preparing my heart. I'm not going to walk in, sit down on my pew, look at my phone for 30 minutes, and then wonder why I don't feel nothing during the preaching. They just don't preach like I want them to preach. They just don't preach the kind of stuff. The devil is a liar. Come on, 
on Esau. The problem isn't the porridge. The problem is your disposition. Come on, you got to get rid of that feed me attitude. You got to get rid of that give me attitude. Baby, I come in here and I'm just thankful God let me be in the house. I'm just grateful to be a part of this family. I'm just grateful to be in Father's house. Put a bowl in my hand. Give me some tools. Let me get to work. What can I prepare for somebody else? What can I make to help somebody else? It's a love-hate relationship. Esau despised the birthright, but Jacob desired the birthright. Now, in order to understand the significance of this, you first have to understand a couple of things about the birthright. What was the birthright? Well, it was a few things, but primarily this. There were two main parts to the birthright. Number one is the first part of the birthright was the rights of the birthright. The second part was the responsibility of the birthright. It came with rights and it came with responsibilities. I can't get no help up in this church. It wasn't just full of promises and gifts. Along with those promises and gifts came a responsibility. And so the promise and the right of the birthright is that you would inherit a double portion. You, you, you were blessed double than everybody else when it came time for the inheritance. It was part of the attraction and the value of the birthright. But the responsibility of the birthright is that when you inherited the birthright, you became the spiritual leader of the household. You, in fact, stood in place of your father, who was that you had a responsibility to lead your family and the rest of your siblings in the ways of the Lord. It's not just a double portion, but it's a responsibility to set an example for the rest of the family. Which part of the birthright do you think Esau despised? Do you think he despised the double portion of blessing? Or do you think that Esau despised the spiritual responsibility that came with the birthright. I submit to you that Esau despised the responsibility of being spiritually a leader in the household. He struggled with the things that his father did and his mother did as spiritual leaders. And there was something that never sat right in Esau's heart. He always kicked against spiritual responsibility. Do I got to pray again? Are you going to keep harping on me about praying again? How many more times are you going to preach about that, Pastor? You, you going to harp on me about being faithful again? Come on. He despised the responsibility of the birthright. And do you think the first time that this was ever displayed was at the moment of exchange? This was a lifelong disposition. 
Esau grew up doing everything he could to get out of the house. I don't want to be in the house. I'm more content in the field. I feel more comfortable in a carnal place than I do in Father. I can't get no help in this place. I feel more at home out in the field because out in the field I don't have to deal with all of the constraints and rules and regulations and the disciplines that are in Father's house. And he understood the birthright doesn't just come with blessing but the birthright comes with spiritual responsibility. And I'm telling you that in the same house you had some children Jacob who wanted the birthright more than anything and he was willing to work for it and then in the same house in the same church there were Esau's that all they could do was despise the responsibility of the birthright why do we got to do this I don't understand why pastor preaches that way I see other churches doing this and I see other pastors who allow that and I see other things oh I cannot tell you what it is it is an Esau spirit that is despising the birthright as a matter of fact when it came down to it his appetites are what did him in his carnal appetites is what finally caused him to discard the birthright. He allowed his carnal nature to become so dominating that he finally looked at the birthright and literally told his brother, what profit hath this birthright to me? I don't even get anything out of it. I don't know why I even come to church. I don't get nothing out of it anyway. I don't know why I even sit in the preaching. I don't get nothing out of it anyway. You know what had happened? He had allowed his carnal appetites. The two natures had become so dominant that it was winning the war. And they said, God, didn't Isaac have two sons? What do you mean you love us? Didn't he have two sons? He said, yes. Jacob have I loved. But Esau have I hated. There's not too many places in Scripture you're going to find God saying that he hates something. And so when he does, it behooves us to understand what God is saying. And I preached all of that as my introduction to get where I'm at right here. There is a prevailing attitude in churches today where you're seeing Esau's raise up, sitting under the same ministry, under the same preaching, same environment, same teaching. Some people walk out grateful, thankful, rejoicing, and others walking out of the house despising the birthright because they've allowed their carnal nature to begin to diminish the value of the birthright. And God said, I hate what Esau did. 
I hate an attitude that doesn't see the value anymore in the birthright. I hate an attitude that puts a focus on self-aggrandizement, on selfish carnal desires, and minimizes the responsibility and the blessing of the birthright. I didn't die on a cross for you to throw me away like that. I didn't pay the price and bring you out of the mess I brought you out of for you to discard my kingdom in that kind of Jacob have I oh God I thought you loved Isaac's family he said it's a love hate relationship it's a love I love Jacob but I hate Esau I can't stand an attitude that despises the birthright of the father's house and I've watched people who are in that war between the carnal and the spiritual as they begin to give in to the carnal brother Dale they start making trades they start laying down convictions because they don't see a value in it anymore what good is this to me I don't understand why I mean I've lived this way for a long time without putting makeup on but I don't see where it's getting me in life. And I look over here and I see other churches. They don't preach against this. You better be careful about comparing other churches and pastors and preachers and standards because while you're looking through the lens of social media you have no idea the conversations happening in the portals of heaven as God weighs in the balance those that are defending righteous and those that are headed the wrong direction come on I'm preaching to you that there are churches that used to preach what we preach right now those Churches used to hold the line against Hollywood. It's not a new thing. You know what happened? They despised the birthright. Somewhere they begin to say it's not worth it. I don't see any benefit. And little by little, they begin to devalue holiness. I just don't see the importance of that kind of separation. Why does my pastor got to be so dogmatic? I'll tell you why. Because we're a Jacob. Jacob, uh, who wants the birthright uh, I'm not interested uh, in training the birthright uh, in order to satisfy uh, my carnal desire uh, in order to satisfy uh, my carnal need uh, to fit in with fashion uh, in order to feed my carnal mind uh, that wants to do uh, what my flesh wants to do uh, God did not create you uh, to give in to your flesh uh, over every desire you have just because you want it and you desire it and it looks appealing to you doesn't mean that it's not cursed by God that God doesn't have a commandment and I, I'm telling you right now when you stand before God that 
that other church, that other pastor, those other people are not going to be the ones that give an account for your soul. God's going to bring you back to the place where you had the birthright in your hand, where you had it handed to you, and you said it's not worth it. It doesn't do anything for me. Give me the pottage over the birthright. I'll take fulfillment over the responsibility of the birthright. Give me the Hollywood movies. Give me the sports games over the responsibility of the birthright. I don't worry about looking separated. That's a bunch of overkill. But I came to preach that in this church, there's a bunch of Jacobs in this house that said, God, I'm willing to work for the birthright. I'm not entitled to anything. God, I'm willing to pay the price to have the birthright. God, I'm willing to make the sacrifice. If Esau doesn't want it, God, give it to me. If Esau doesn't love it, God, give it to me. I just came to serve notice in this house tonight that we're never going to let down on holiness, that we're never going to back up on separation from the world. We're never going to compromise our standard. Why? Because it's a birthright. It was given to me by my fathers and my forefathers. It was handed down and God forbid that I lose the value and significance of what God gave to me. We're about to shift the culture. You're not in the in crowd, young person, if you're running around in the dark doing what you're not supposed to be doing. You're not in the in crowd. You're about to be on the out crowd of Esau, running around disobeying the things that you know God said not to do running around disregarding spiritual authority, running around disregarding the standards of God's word and discounting them as the opinion of man. And that's just his way of thinking. And I got my own way of thinking. And I got, you better be careful when you become your own judge and your own accountability and your own pastor in your life. You're headed, come on somebody. The heart is exceedingly and desperately wicked and who can know it come on that's what Esau did I'm just gonna live based on how I feel I'm gonna make decisions based on my appetite I'm gonna make decisions but Jacob said I want what my father had I want what was prepared for me I want what God said You're sitting around here waiting for me to change my stance on Hollywood. You might as well pack your bags and go. We're not selling the birthright. Come on, I need some shouters up in this house. I said, we're not selling the birthright. We're not capitulating 
to the fleshly desires of the world. We're not going to compromise with the influence of the world and throw away the godly heritage and the principles. That I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for me to change my stance on a woman wearing men's apparel, you might as well just give up now because we're not throwing away the birthright. I'm not interested in losing what was handed to me in the word of God. Come on, if you're waiting for me to stop preaching against organized sports and idolatry of this world, you're going to be waiting a long time because we're not giving up the birthright. If you're waiting for a pimp preacher who's a hireling that'll just scratch your ears and make you feel comfortable, you better find another church to go to. I'm not for sale. I'm not for hire. I don't belong to you. I belong to God. And I've got a mandate from heaven to preach what's in that word in season and out of season. That means I've got to preach it if you want to hear it. And I've got to preach it when your carnal flesh wants me to shut up. When your carnal flesh wants to get up and walk out during the preaching. When your carnal flesh wants to leave church early because you don't want to go to an altar and your carnal man die. You run from the altar. You run from the altar call. Why? Because your carnal man has taken dominion. But God's got some Jacobs in this place that say, God, I'm in love with the altar. God, I'll be at the altar every time there's an altar call because it's at the altar that I found deliverance. It's at the altar I found forgiveness. It's at the altar that my chains were broken. Oh, I came to preach. It's a love-hate relationship. But, but don't they go to the rock church? God said, yeah, but it's a love-hate relationship. I got some Jacobs that I love, and I've got some Esau's that had better repent. Come on, somebody. Come on, how, how many services are you going to sit in your pew on your way to reprobation? Because the first step to reprobation is resisting the spirit, the Bible says. Ye do always resist the spirit. The Holy Ghost is trying to talk to you. And you say, I don't want to hear it. The Holy Ghost is trying to reach you. You get up and walk out. The Holy Ghost is trying to get your attention. You won't come to an altar. You know what the next step is? The Bible says they quench the spirit. Not only do I resist it, but now 
now I'm going to do whatever I have to do uh, to avoid the Spirit of God. Uh, you're on your way uh, to a life of reprobation, Esau. Uh, Esau, you better get a hold of yourself. Uh, Esau, you better get a fresh revelation uh, of Father's house. Uh, you better get a fresh appreciation uh, for the birthright. Uh, you better quit taking for granted uh, what God called you into. Uh, you better stop worrying uh, about what they're doing in the other house uh, and the other church uh, and the other places. Uh, and you better get your heart right uh, with God. Same church, same move of God. And while hundreds have their hands in the air under the presence of God, others sit with their hands and arms folded, disconnected. Brother Leo, God said it's a love-hate relationship. I know they're both part of the house of Isaac, but I hate Esau and I love Jacob. We'll preach to some of us, not just about the church. What about your home? What is God going to say about your household, sir? Ma'am, I want to preach to every head of household in this place. You are responsible. You've got a, res a birthright responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your house. You know what that means? You set the direction for what's happening in your home. You're the gatekeeper to sin getting in your house or not getting in your house. You are the, come on, God's going to hold you responsible with that responsibility. Don't you blame your wife. Don't you blame your kids. Don't you blame anybody else. Come on, I'm preaching to a mom or a dad or a mom and a dad. When sin tries to make its way into your house, there better be a Jacob in the building that stands up and says, not in this house. We're not doing that here. I'm sorry. I love you. But we're not going to let Ichabod be written over this house. This house needs God's blessing. This house needs God's. Come on. I'm preaching to somebody. People come over your house and they begin to disrespect, disobey the principles of God. You better have enough backbone to, to tell them stop or get out. Come on. Come on, somebody. I know what I'm preaching about. I've had to do it to my own family members. I've had to look at them and say, listen, I love you, but we don't live like that here. I'm sorry we don't do that here. I'd love for you to stay, but you can't do that in my house. And I've seen them leave, and I've seen them be respectful. But you better hear me. I care more about what God thinks about me than what my friends think about me. I care more about God's approval than my family's approval. When I stand before God, they will not be standing with me. They will not be answering for me. Ah, come on, somebody. God needs some Jacobs that will not despise the birthright in your home. I want to preach to the young families of this church. This church is packed. Packed. With young families. And babies galore. 
Mom and dad, moms and dads to be, you better get it right now. You better get some things settled in your house now. Because if you're compromising with the enemy now, he will destroy your children. Come on, somebody better listen to the man of God tonight. If you don't set the stage now for God's birthright in your house, your te- when they become teenagers, they'll spit in your face. You'll wonder why they don't want to come to an altar to pray. You'll wonder why they don't have a breakthrough and they don't respond to the Holy Ghost. You'll wonder why you're fighting them about every worldly influence. I'll tell you why. Because somewhere the culture and the tone was set in the house to despise the birthright. You better put a premium value on every godly principle in your home. You better lift up and elevate every godly principle in your home. It's heaven or bust in this house, baby. There's no room for hell. There's no room for the world. There's no room for compromise. Come on. This train is bound for glory. And we're not letting anything stop us. We're not letting anything destroy us. We're not going to let entertainment steal our victory. We're not going to let our carnal desire wreck our walk with God. We will not sell the birthright. It's a love-hate relationship. Let's stand all over this house tonight. I'm done preaching. God sent me into this place tonight as an alarm system to shake some of us in this house tonight. I'm just going to preach to you flat-footed, five toes down on this platform. There's some of us in this room tonight that have grown lukewarm in our walk with God. We've We've been compromising in some areas of our life. Allowing some things in our spirit, in our mind, in our actions that we know good and well do not please God. Tonight, God's calling us to repentance. Tonight, God's calling us to an opportunity and a place of repentance. Bible speaking of Esau says that he found no place of repentance. Listen, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know what that tells me? Somewhere in the whole process, it dawned on Esau the mistake that he made. Somewhere Esau finally had a rude awakening. And he said, what have I done? But now, when he was ready to repent, God said, your time of visitation is over. You see, God doesn't work on your timetable. Esau, God's not on your command and demand to feed you when you want it. You come to repentance when God calls you to repentance. Or you don't come at all. Somewhere Esau realized his mistake. And the 
Bible says, but the more that he sought repentance with tears, he was genuine, crying. God, I, I want the birthright back. I made a mistake. But God's word declares he found no place of repentance. But tonight, there's a place of repentance in this house. I said tonight, there's a place of repentance. Esau doesn't want to come to the altar because of his pride. But I feel like God's calling some people right now. You know you're not an Esau. You've just got caught up in some things. And tonight God's saying, come on, let us reason together. Let's get some things right in your spirit. I, I want every head bowed and nobody looking around. Come on, if God's talking to you tonight, would you get out of your seat and come to this altar? Don't you worry about anybody else. Don't you worry about what anybody else thinks. It's Come on, this is between you and God tonight. I can't live my life knowing that God hates my attitude and hates my actions because I've devalued the kingdom of God and I've devalued the principles. Come on, all over this house. Come on, would you lift your hands? Somebody needs to begin to cry out to God in this place. Somebody needs to begin to open up your heart and talk to God all over this place. Come on, somebody right now. Come on, I know it's Tuesday night. I know you got to work tomorrow. But eternity is at stake in this place tonight. Come on, I, it doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter what your plans are after church. The only thing that matters tonight is God. I've got to hear you say, well done. God, I've got to hear you. Come on. I got some things I got to get right in my heart. I got some things I got to get straight in my spirit. I got some things in my household that I need to get worked out. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. It's a love-hate relationship. But God wants to love you. Come on. God wants to favor you. God wants to bless you. God wants to move you forward. But you've got to come to the table with a different attitude. You've got to come to the altar with a different mindset. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on, come on. That's it. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on.
heaven before it's too late. Somebody needs to get desperate with God before you become calloused, before you can't feel Him anymore, before you can't hear Him anymore.
church. It's not time to say a little lay me down to sleep prayer. Somebody needs to cry out to God. Somebody needs to cry out to God. God, I can't be lost. God, I can't be lost.
call to the deep tonight. God wants to take you somewhere deep tonight. Oh God. 